Let's jump into today's uh, teaching stuff. Uh, two weeks ago, for those of you who weren't here, we started a brand new series. A brand new series called It Takes a Lot of Faith. Now, one of the points that we've been making every Sunday is it takes a lot of faith to be a Christian. We don't spend much time on that because everyone knows that, right? It takes a lot of faith to be a Christian. It takes a lot of faith to be a Christian when our expectations of God don't seem to match our experience. It takes a lot of faith to be a Christian when, when people bring challenges our way that really make us think or they come from within. It takes a lot of faith to be a Christian. But where we're spending most of our time in this series is does it take a lot of faith to subscribe to other worldviews? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. Two weeks ago, we took a look at uh, our, our subtopic was it takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. An atheist is a person who says there's no God. I'm sure there's no God. That's what this, an atheist would say. Look, two weeks ago, we talked about why that takes a lot of faith. A lot of faith. And then last week, our, our sub-theme was it takes a lot of faith to be an agnostic. An agnostic is someone who says there might be a God, there might not be a God. I'm not going to commit to either one. It takes a lot of faith to live there. That's what we looked at last week. Well, here's the claim we're going to make today. It's going to rile up possibly some of you. But I believe it takes a lot of faith to believe the Bible is just another book. It takes a lot of faith to believe the Bible is just another book. How many of you have been watching Shark Week? How many of you have been watching some Shark Week? All right. You know in Shark Week how they chum the waters? Chum the waters? If you want to chum the waters for haters, just put this on the internet somewhere. You put this claim out on the internet somewhere, that is like chum in the water for haters. You will get people responding to you, right? It is a lightning rod to say something like this. And, and people will say things like this. I'll edit it for the children. Um, <laughs> it, they might say something like this. Who do you think you are saying that? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to claim the Bible deserves special honor or recognition? They might say something like that. They might say, there are thousands and thousands of other books out there that have impacted millions and millions of lives. How arrogant, how ignorant, how insulting of you. And again, this is edited. Their language may not be this polite. Um, how, how arrogant, how ignorant, how insulting of you to imply that the Bible somehow deserves special attention or special reverence when there's all those other books out there. <laughs> Don't believe me? Try it. Just, just claim, make this claim. It takes a lot of faith to believe the Bible is just another book. For, a, for a, a nation that prides itself on tolerance, this is a claim that a lot of people are not tolerant of. A lot of people are not tolerant of this claim. And perhaps some of you, um, you know, maybe you came for a workout, you saw there was some free food, we are glad you're here. Um, and and you're, you're getting defensive right now because you're like, how, how dare you say that? How dare you? I, what I would encourage, if that's where you're coming from this morning, I'd encourage you, just... Please at least listen before you, you close down. Because I, this one, we say a lot of things in here that are controversial. We say a lot of things in here that are very subjective. They, they, there's a lot of things we say in here that take a lot of faith. This is just objectively true. This is one of the ones where it, it's just objectively true. Um, the Bible is not just another book. Now, we're, we're going to go there here in a, in a little bit, but, but let me start with, with this spot here. Um, let me start by saying, does it take a lot of faith to believe the Bible contains words spoken by God himself? Yes. I, of course, that disclaimer should be out there. I freely admit that. The Bible is filled with, at least for me, very confusing things. It, it's filled with, with things that, that are hard for me to understand and teachings that are really hard to embrace. 
I freely admit that it takes faith to believe in the Bible. All I'm saying is it also takes a lot of faith to believe the Bible is just another book. The Bible itself doesn't leave room for that. Um, here are some things that the Bible says about itself. Here's a statement out of the book of Revelation. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible, the very last book. And chapter 22 is the very last chapter of the very last book of the Bible. And in there, after you know, saying these things, it says these words are trustworthy and true. In fact, if you were to continue to read in chapter 22, you'd come across in verses 18 and uh, 19, this, this same chapter, it warns people. It says, don't add to or take away from these words. Don't add to, don't take away from these words. So that's from the very last chapter, the very last book of the Bible. You see these type of statements throughout the scriptures. Throughout, throughout the Bible, you see these statements where the Bible is claiming, internally, it's claiming to say, this contains the very words of God. Um, here, are, here are some examples of that. Real quick overview, right from the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 is the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. And we have God, these, these words are written, and God said. And you have this, God spoke all these words in Exodus 20. Moses wrote down the words of the Lord, Exodus 24. By this word you shall live, Deuteronomy 32. The word of our God will stand forever. That's from Isaiah 40. And here's one from the New Testament in reference to Jesus. It is said, you have the words of eternal life. So the Bible itself testifies to its special nature. But again, if you're a good philosopher or a person that, that knows logic and reasoning, that's not enough to just stop there. That's what's called circular reasoning. To, to, to just say, well, the Bible is special because the Bible says it's special. Not a very convincing argument except to those who are already convinced. Right? So we're not going to stop there. Let's go on. What I want to offer this morning quickly are facts. Again, a lot of the things we say are, are, are really spoken in faith and there's reasons why we believe that. The four things I'm going to offer to you today, I'm just going to offer facts. Four, and I'm, I'm going to use this language, four indisputable facts. These four facts will not prove that the Bible is divine in origin. I'll give you that. But that's not the, the, the claim we're working with today. The claim is just the, that the Bible's not another book. Because I've heard that accusation made of the Bible. Oh, it's just one more book. It, it, it's not. Now, I, I want to show you how dramatic the difference is between the Bible and, and other books. And to do that, I want to I do a, a little game that I, that I learned on television. When I was a, when I was a kid, um, I used to watch a show called Sesame Street. Anyone ever watched a show called Sesame Street? All right. Now, if uh, have any of you are familiar with a game called One of These Things is Not Like the Others? How many were really good at that game? Oh, I was so good at that game. The way the game is played, on TV anyway, is they have four squares. And in three of the squares, the kids are doing the same thing. And in one of the squares, the kid's doing something else. And before the song was done, you had to guess which kid was doing their own thing. All right? So we're going to do this. Dan, you got your team here, your crack team. He's got, he's got uh, four mystery objects. Four mystery objects here. Come on up. We have four mystery objects. And he's going to get his team of four in place here. And they're going to start doing something. I'll even sing the song um, for you. And if you know it, you can jump in. Um, so three of the kids are going to be doing their own thing. One kid is going to be doing something different. Kids, how many kids do we have here who have not yet been to middle school? Raise your hands loud and proud. There we go. Okay. If you can guess... How do you raise your hand loud and proud? All right, I don't know, but you do. Okay, if you can guess, 
when I'm done with this song, if you can guess which kid was doing their own thing, you will win a prize. All right? Okay? So here we go. One of these things is not like the others. Come on, can you tell which one? Can you guess which kid is doing her own thing? Guess before my song is done. Do, do, do. And now my song is done. All right. Here we go. How many think that the kid who was doing their own thing that was not like the others was right down there on the far end? All right, no one's guessing there. Okay. How many think the kid at heart... <laughs> who was doing his own thing is right here. Dan? Oh, so far no hands. How many think the kid who was doing her own thing is right here, Emma, with the, the yellow ball? Okay. How many kids guess that the person riding the stick horse, the only kid riding the stick horse, was doing her own thing? Raise your hands. Woohoo! All right. Good job, kids. Thank you, guys. If you were a kid and you raised your hand right in the back of the room, there are two buckets of wonderful prizes and you can go pick one of those from the bucket they'll tell you thank you so much <laughs> all right yeah i'm just gonna do the rest of the service <laughs> thank you guys all right all right we'll let them do it while they're picking up their prizes i'm gonna i'm again i'm making some strong claims here today um and one of my claims i'm making is the bible stands out like that does the Bible stand out like that in every conceivable area? No. But does overall, does the Bible stand out like that from other books? It does. At least in a couple key areas. And we're going to look at four of those today. Here's what, I, before we jump into all four, I would encourage you to write this down. Inside your notes, we have a green piece of paper. I'd encourage you to pull that out. There's something about writing things down that help us to remember it. Or you can write it down, and then when you send me that email this week, you, you, you've got what I said right here, so you can, you can call me on it. Um, here we go. Let's, here's, here's what I encourage you to start with. We're going to look at today four significant and indisputable facts about the Bible. We're not going to look at insignificant facts. Um, no point in that. But we're going to look at four significant and, I would argue, indisputable facts about the Bible. Now, you might say everything, you can, everything is disputable. Well, of course it is. You could dispute that the sea is, that the ocean is salty, right? You could argue that the ocean isn't salty. Well, what do you, depend, what do you mean by salty? Everybody knows that the ocean is salty. If you want to argue that, you go, you go ahead. You go ahead. I'm not going to argue with you, right? It's, it's indisputable that the ocean is salty. By con under, everyone's understanding of salty. And in that same vein, here are, here are things that, that if, if I'm wrong in this again, if, if, then, then show me the error of my ways afterwards. Let's talk. Let me hear what you have to say. Let me we'll compare resources. But I believe there are four indisputable. And here's the first one we're going to look at today. No book in history has been read by more people. No book in history. Think of, the, think of that claim right there. In all of the things that have ever been written in the history of ever, no book has been read by more people. Why does it take faith to believe the Bible is just another book? In the history of humankind, no book has been published more times. The Bible is unique in its circulation. Let me just give you a glimpse of how unique it is. And these numbers don't include digital copies. And how many of you have at least one digital copy or access to at least one digital copy of the Bible? Look at this. All right? I don't even have to say, I don't even know what to say when I say open your Bibles to because people click their, their Bibles too. Okay, this is just printed copies. And again, these are estimates, best guess, um, as I looked around, try to compare sources and see what they said. All right, I have a couple books up here in front of me. Um, one of them is Good Night Moon. Gotta love Good Night Moon. 
All right. How many of you have seen or heard of Good Night Moon? Okay. All right. So there's Good Night Moon. Right next to it, I have The Da Vinci Code, another bestseller. I have uh, one of the books representing the Harry Potter series. I have that next. I have a book, um, Don Quixote, also known as Don Quixote. No. um, And uh, then I have a a copy of the Koran, and then I have the Bible. So these are the books that we're going to look at today. All right? Now, when it comes to how many copies there are of each one, again, you go out there and you try to find out, get a handle on this. Everybody says different things. I did the best I could using the same sources to see what they all said about the the same books as best I could. And, And to the best of my ability, the number I came up with with Goodnight Moon was 20 million. So if each one of these sheets of paper represents a million, okay, so this is a million, this is how many copies of Goodnight Moon have been sold worldwide. 20 million, that's a lot. It's a lot of copies, all right? So that's 20 million. The next book, The Da Vinci Code, um, again, it depends who you talk to there, but uh, the number I got most consistently was 57 million. We'll round up. 60 million, okay? So here's The Da Vinci Code, 60 sheets of paper compiled by Emma, all right? All right, so we go 60 million, so that's 60 million. So we'll put these on top of each other. All right, the next book is Harry Potter. Um, the best, the, the estimates that I saw out there range, almost all of them, from 400 million worldwide to 450 million worldwide for the series. Not for each book, for the whole series. That's a lot of books. So um, a ream of paper is 500. I didn't break open the ream. We'll even round up for them. So this is, this is Harry Potter sales worldwide, 500 million, or, well, it's rounding way up, <laughs> only rounding up by possibly 100 million, you know, so, <laughs> so that's, that, that'd be pretty good, publishers would love that, all right, uh, the Don Quixote book, uh, that one has been around a long time, they also estimate that one around 500 million, so this is Don Quixote, 500 million, and then the Quran was the trickiest one of all of them to try to get an estimate on, um, most all of the sources that I saw put it at about 800 million. All of the sources that I did see said, we don't know. It's so hard with religious books to know how many there are out there. So I saw 800 million. I saw a billion. I saw only one source that went over a billion, and they said it could be between one and two billion. Pretty nice range there. Um, so we'll try to be as consistent as we can. I go with the numbers that I saw the most, so we'll go with one billion. So this would be one billion. All right? So adding all the first five together um, of some of the some of the biggest sellers of all time, uh, not all the top best sellers, but some of the big sellers of all time, this is what we've got. There's some other books out there too. Uh, Lord of the Rings series, I think they put it at 150 million. There's some others that had, had a lot of books sold as well. Now let's move on then to the Bible. If every one of the sheets of paper represents a million the, the consistent number, again, no one knows for sure, but the number that I saw used over and over and over again, maybe because one person said it and everyone else went with that, was 6 billion. 6 billion. I saw as high as 7.5 billion, but because the, we're going with the numbers that I saw the most, we'll go with 6 billion. 6 billion. Is the Bible just another book when it comes to how many copies have been published? Look at that. Look at the difference. That's considerable. Now, again, if, 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 if you're, you're sitting out there and, and you're, you're, um, you're a little skeptical, you could say, yeah, but that's just popularity. You know, are, are, are you saying that that's enough to make me say I should read the Bible? I, I would say no. 
I mean, 450 copies have been sold of the Harry Potter series. Harry Potter series. Am I compelled to read it? Nope. Nope. I'm not going to read it. Um, the Chinese dictionary. You know, hundreds of millions sold. Am I compelled to read it just because so many were sold? Nope. I'd argue there's something qualitatively different about the Bible. In fact, one of the things that's interesting, if you look back on its history, I, I can't think of a Bible that has been more attacked, or a, a Bible, I can't think of a book that has been more attacked over history than the Scriptures itself. In fact, I would say it's miraculous that it survived at all. The Bible has thrived despite unparalleled attempts to destroy and discredit it. It has survived not only harsh scrutiny, ridicule, and criticism, but it has been outlawed. It has been banned. It has been burned in many, many countries. And yet Jesus said these words in Matthew 24, 35. He said, Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. And despite such strong opposition, the Bible's been printed by more printed more times than any other book. Now again, is that enough? No. So let's continue on. That's just one of the, the facts I want to offer to you today. And the second one I offer this is no book has been translated into more languages. I want to encourage you to write that down as well. The Bible is unique in its translation. First, let's look at the numbers and let's talk about the implications. Uh, good night, moon. Good night, moon. Any, again, this stuff, it's, you, you take the sources, you try to see what number you come up with the most. Any guesses on what number comes up the most when you look up how many languages Goodnight Moon was translated into? Rough guesses? Six? Fifteen? Very good. Yeah, I, I got twelve. Or twelve, twelve languages is what, what I saw the most common. Twelve languages, okay? So this time, these aren't millions. This time, uh, this is numbers of language. Every sheet of paper is one language that it's been translated into, okay? So we got twelve for Goodnight Moon. Da Vinci Code, um, forty. Uh, 44. 44. Okay? So we got 44 for the Da Vinci Code. We've got, uh, for the Harry Potter series, it jumps up to 67. 67 different languages that, uh, that they say it's been translated into. Don Quixote, we got 60 for that one. 60, so about this many for Don Quixote. Now the Quran, again, real hard. This one was probably of all the figures to nail down. This is the one that for some reason, I had the hardest time tracking down. The number I saw most consistently was 114. But again, this is just the, the best I could come up with um, for the Quran. 114 languages translated into. Now, some would say to translate it into any other language is sin. But I, what I saw was 114. Okay? So we'll take all these away. Here's the, here's the combined translations of these other languages. Um, just... FYI, I, sources say there's more than 6,000 languages in the, in the world today. So Christianity, let's move on to there. Um, the Bible, how many has it been translated into? Well, it depends what you mean by that. Do you mean the whole book? Do you mean partial books? Do you mean Old Testament, New Testament? But if we use one sheet of paper for, uh, for one language, we still end up with, if you are counting how many, um, at least like a whole book, like one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, there's at least 2,500 languages so far, and they're working on it. I'm trying to get it to every person. 2,500 
of at least one book of the Bible. There's roughly, I think it's 1,200 entire translations of the whole Bible, something like 1,300 that are currently in process of the whole Bible. But at least one book of the Bible is available in 2,500 languages. One of these things is not like the others. What it, now, to me, this one's stronger, stronger than just the, the popularity one. It's stronger than, than that. What is it about the Bible that compels so many people to translate it? Now, that would be easy if it was a profit motive. It, it would be e- it's easy to explain why they've translated Harry Potter into 67 languages so they can sell more books. You don't have that same motivation. Maybe in the U.S. you do with some publishers, but... But historically, that's not been the motivation. In fact, it, there, are, there are folks that we, we can't even talk about with the kids here of, of horrific things that were done to people just because they wanted to translate the Bible into the language of the people. There are people who faced horrible hardships, horrible persecution, people that gave their very lives to translate this book. Not for a profit motive, because they believed it was true. What is it about this book that caused so many people to, 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 to do that, to go through so much hardship? Now, those are just two. Let's move on to a third fact. And for me, now it's getting compelling. Now it's getting compelling. I'm not going to read a book just because a lot of people have published it. I'm not going to read a book just because it's been translated into a lot of languages. If there was another book that fit this next category, I would consider reading it, even if I fundamentally disagreed um, with the, the premise from the start. And that's this. I'd encourage you to write it down. The Bible provides an unparalleled, multi-voiced testimony. The Bible provides an unparalleled, multi-voiced testimony. It is pretty easy to dismiss a book that makes really big claims, but there's not a lot to back it up. The author said, Hey, I had this encounter with space aliens. You've got to read my book. Okay, you're the only one saying this, right? Yeah, yeah, but okay. You know, maybe true, maybe not be true, but hard to go there with you if, if that's all you got is, is just your word, right? I think of the experience we had this, um, this summer. We were down in Disney World, and, or Disneyland, and, uh, and there, the, the California Adventure side of Disneyland, they just opened up this Cars Land, they call it. Cars Land. It had just opened up, I think, two weeks before we got down there. So crowds were all flocking to Cars Land. And the signature ride at Cars Land was the Radiator Springs Racers. It's like, it's amazing. They spent a, like a billion dollars on rebuilding Radiator Springs, and you get in these cars and go through it. So the, the line for that, I got an app so we could check lines, right? The line was always 120 minutes plus. 120 minutes plus. I'm like, oh, so we tried to get the fast passes. They were sold out by 9 o'clock in the morning for fast passes. All right, so we're, so we're watching. The, as we're going on the other rides, we're keeping one eye on the... Okay, I'm keeping one eye on the, uh, on the wait time for Radio Springs. We're sitting down to eat, and I look. I turn it on. It says 10 minutes. I'm like, stop eating. <laughs> Let's go, you know? And most people had already kind of finished up anyway, and... I got a lot of eye rolls, but we, we worked our way down to the radiator springs up and we kind of dragged it. Let's go! And we get there, and the reason it was 10 minutes because it was shut down. Um, they were having a mechanical, a mechanical problem. And I'm looking at this, all this space where people normally are standing, and I'm like, 
Let's roll the dice. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's get in line because even if it's down for half an hour, we're going to come out ahead on this, right? Okay, so we get in line, and those tricky Disney folks, you know how they do their lines. It looks like, what? Not far to go. And then you turn the corner. So, you know, so we're standing in line, and it's not moving, it's not moving, but okay, no, not a problem because we're not going to have far to go until we turn the corner and we saw the people. But we're standing in line. And there's, there's this, this woman, and she's there with her husband, and, and she's a very talkative woman, very talkative woman. And it was interesting to watch her, her husband engage us for a little while, and then he just let her talk. And I think he was just having a moment of, ah. <sighs> he didn't even look at us. He just, you know. And so, so the woman, she's talking and talking and talking. She gets around to religion, ultimately. And I'm like, this will be fun to see where this goes. And, uh, and she was a Mormon. And so we're, we're talking, and I'm doing my best just to, to listen and, and try to you know, do all that. And, and, and so probably an hour into our wait, I start, uh, <laughs> I start asking some questions. And, and one of my questions was, okay, the Book of Mormon, um, it's my understanding that, that, there's, that there's no, there was a civilization or something in, in the Book of Mormon. This whole civilization is supposed to be in North America. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is, is there, have, has there been any evidence ever uh, to support the claim that there was this civilization? And she goes, well, you know, um, our, our officials, our church officials really believe that, that there, it was true. And Okay, but, but you don't know of anything? No, but our church officials say that it's true. Okay. I said, and then you guys, your, your translation of the Bible is different than ours. And do you have any idea of, uh, or would you be able to, if you ask questions, be able to find out what manuscripts they translated from into English? Which, which Hebrew ones, which, which Greek ones? Because there's some that are out there that are, that are looked upon by scholars as, as more authentic. And, and she goes, well, no. I said, how about the translators themselves? Can, if you were to ask questions, would you be able to find out who the scholars were who did the translating? And she goes, oh, no, because they don't want to, um, they don't want to take the credit. They don't want it to be about them. They want it to be about God. Okay. So you're just... Believing in faith when there's no evidence that this civilization happened. You're believing in faith that it did. And then you're trusting that people accurately translated the, these ancient manuscripts, even though you don't know which ones they used. And you couldn't look it up if you tried because they won't tell you. And, and who the scholars were that did the translate. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. That woman's got a lot more faith than I do. If someone's going to say, God said this... I'd, I'd like to know why and how they came to that conclusion. The Bible provides an unparalleled multi-voice testimony. It is not one person. It is not one committee. It is not one council. It, it is a multi-voice. Here's just a couple things. We could spend months just on this alone. The Bible provides an unparalleled multi-voice testimony. There are at least 60, 60 book, 66 books, at least in our the way our Bible's arranged. Um, six, six books from 40 different authors. And they came from, they were kings, they were shepherds, they were fishermen, they were military leaders, they were prophets. There was a physician, there was a tax collector, there was a former persecutor of the Christian faith. And there was even one of Jesus' brothers in this mix. Diverse mix of folks. It was written over a 1,500-year span in times of war and peace, palaces and dungeons. It was written in at least three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It has origins in three different continents. Asia, Africa, and Europe. It was vetted. We're going to look more at this these next two over the next uh, in the next week. They were verified through centuries of rigorous study and archaeological discoveries, and it is adhered to, though it cost them their very lives, 
by millions of folks. Estimates are there's at least 150 million, or 150,000, there's at least 150,000 Christians who give their life for their faith every year. Does, is there any other book, any other book like that? I don't know of any that has this unique multi-voice witness. And, and there are a whole lot of things that are perplexing to me about God. I don't understand why he does certain, certain things. But boy, one of the things that it seems like God would do is if God was going to speak to his people, he would have a record that goes all the way back to the origins of human history. He wouldn't wait you know, and start with, with a certain person. It would go all the way back to the origins of the first humans. And, and, and God would speak through a variety of people in a wide variety of settings. That makes sense to me. It also makes sense, and we'll look at this next week, that, that when people wrote these things down, it would look like a real testimony rather than someone that was collaborating or, or fixing or, or, or trying to match up all of the, all of the facts. And it would also make sense that God would have it come into the earth at, at just the opportune moment. And that we're going to look at that in, in December. Um, in in our, our Advent series, our Christmas series, we're going to look at, uh, at why the Bible did come and Jesus did come in the fullness of time. And Jesus coming when he did, there was a common language with the Greeks. There were these roads with, with the Romans. It was, Jesus came at the opportune time, at the, at the right time, fullness of time. All right, so we're pressing that deeper this week. But, but again, I just encourage you to reflect on this. The Bible provides an unparalleled multi-voice testimony. All right, last one. Here we go, last one. The Bible provides the most complete and verifiable ancient record of the Jesus movement. This is a big deal. This might, you might say, well, this isn't on the same scale as the other ones. This is a big deal. That we, in the Bible, we have the most complete and verifiable ancient record of the Jesus movement. Why does that matter? Because something happened 2,000 years ago in the Middle East that forever changed the world. Something happened that forever changed the world. At the time of Jesus' birth, the people of God, they had no real military power. They had no real economic power. They had no real political power. What they had were their holy writings. That's what they had, what we now call the Old Testament. And they were a people of the book. I scrolls at the time, but they were a people of the book. No, and nobody had a book like theirs. Nobody had a book like theirs. It was a book that spoke to the great questions of human existence and offered unparalleled guidance for life. It was a book that held them together when they lost everything else. And into their world stepped this unlikely teacher and hero. He was an unlikely candidate, but he taught with an authority that even his enemies took note of. He lived with an integrity that even his biggest biggest critics couldn't criticize. There had never been another man like Jesus of Nazareth, ever. And he impacted these believers in God so much that when he rose from the dead, they began to add accounts of him into their collection of holy books. Who was this man that inspired the New Testament? In your notes, um, I have a, a book that I want to encourage you to, to pick up. It's by a guy named John Ortberg. If you are a Christian, get this book. Be careful before you quote... Um, you know, every piece of it. Do your fact-checking, too. There's a couple things I've come across here that I'm like, I don't know. But there's enough here where it's the best summary I've ever seen of, of the impact Jesus had, best short summary I've ever seen of the impact Jesus had. If money is tight, we'll buy you this book. Just let me know. If you're not a believer and you'd be willing to read this, we'll buy it for you. 
We don't have copies here today, but, but let me know and we'll get you a copy. It's, it's, it's worth, worth, the read, worth the read. It's a book that summarizes this, this man. Um, and for kids, real quick, I also want to recommend a book for them, um, for you slash for them. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. How many of you have this in your home? All right. Isn't this great? It does a great job of, of tracing Jesus through the Old Testament and into the New, the impact that this man had, and how the, the subtitle is here is Every Story Whispers His Name, Jesus. Um, this one, I did pick up some extra copies. If you don't have a copy of this at home and you will read it, um, you can take one per family. There's, a, there's some right there where at the, uh, on that, that welcome table on your way back. It's a great, great, great book. Read it tonight. Now, critics. Let's talk about the critics real quick. Critics are quick to point out the knuckleheads who claim to be Jesus' followers, yet misquote and misrepresent Jesus. You hear it all the time. Oh, but these people did this in Jesus' name. Well, they're knuckleheads, all right? They're, they're, if they're not following Jesus and they're doing it in Jesus' name, they're not doing it in Jesus' name, okay? So there are those people, and they have done ungodly things in Jesus' name. But there are sincere Christ followers who were impacted by that guy, and they forever changed this Here's a passage. We, we haven't opened our Bibles officially together or clicked. What term do you use, techie folks? Opened up. They open. Okay, they open their Bibles. Yeah, open an app. I, I got it. All right. Open up. Yeah, so open up with your this or this. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's take a look. This is Second Peter. Let's look at Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Second, and if you don't have a Bible, um, we're going to break the bank here today, but we have copies there also. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, please take one. We have copies there at the table. We'd love to give you one as a free gift. All right, this is out of Second Peter. He's an eyewitness, and he says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we were made known, or when we made known, let me start over. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, say it with me, eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's the claim these guys are making. We didn't make this up. Why would we make this up? We get in so much trouble for making this up. We were eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses of His Majesty. This little group of eyewitnesses, they became part of a movement that has influenced the world more than any other group. This is where we're going to spend our time in two weeks. We're going to spend our time in two weeks on this, looking at this, this movement of, of this, this little group of people, this obscure peasant from nowhere inspired this little group, and then this little group began to grow. And through his followers, the Jesus movement changed how we measure history. The Jesus movement changed how we express compassion. The Jesus movement changed how we think about human rights. The Jesus movement elevated the role of women in society. The Jesus movement changed how we... Uh, how, the Jesus movement revolutionized education. The Jesus movement revolutionized arts and science. The Jesus movement revolutionized politics. No book, no book comes even close to providing a more complete and verifiable record of what happened in that little corner of the world that forever changed the course of human history. Now, does any of what is written matter if it's not true? No. No. If, if the Bible, as its critics say, is, is filled with contradictions and filled with myths and filled with exaggerations and filled with all of these things, then that's a problem, a big problem. And next week, we're not going to be able to do it exhaustively, but next week we want to press into that. If we put the Bible through the same test you put other ancient documents through, 
to determine whether or not they're reliable. How does the Bible stand up? That's what we'll do next week. Here's what one scholar writes. Um, it, it, you know, it, it rises and falls. The Bible's put itself out there. The Bible's, the Bible's made their story testable by putting this into writing and giving it a, a context. Here's what one scholar says. He says, The understanding of any religion depends heavily on the historical circumstances surrounding its birth. This is particularly true of Judaism and Christianity because of the uniquely historical nature of these religions. Centered on scriptures that tell the sacred stories of God's involvement in space and time with distinctive communities of individuals called to be his people, the Judeo-Christian claims rise or fall with the truthfulness of the story, these stories. That's why next week we want to press into that. Is the Bible accurate? Because the claims are huge. Until then, here's what I want to leave you with. Christians, let me speak to you first. What are you doing with this book? What are you doing with this book? This most remarkable of all books. What are you doing with it? Are you letting other people tell you what's in it? Or are you reading it for yourself? Here's, here's what, um, what God said as his people were about to enter the promised land. He said this to his servant, Joshua. He said, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. And here's the thing. Joshua didn't have all that we have now. He didn't have these accounts of the Savior, the Messiah coming into the world. What are you doing with this book? If you're not sure what to do with this book, let's talk. Um, let's start with where you're at, and, and, and let's look at some, some ways to get you engaged. You know, not, not every person is going to benefit from the same reading plan. Let's talk, you know. Let's, let's set up a plan. Every believer should be spending concentrated time in God's Word. And if you're not a believer, if you're, if you're not, if, if, um, if, think about this. If even one of all the people through history who believe this is God's word, if even one of them was right, maybe all of us were deceived, all billions of us were deceived, but if even one was right, then then the Bible contains the very words of God for you. You can learn about God. You know, people say, oh, I want to hear from God. He's written a book. At least he inspired it. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to, to, to your life through these words. Would you consider reading it? And again, if you'd like some, some thoughts regarding where to start, let, let me know. Because I used to give out, here, everyone start here, everyone start here. Let's talk and let's see where you're at. You know, And, and, and we'll go from, go from there. It's my hope that God would speak to you through this book if, if you let him. Let's pray. Throwing a lot of stuff at you. There's probably a lot of good smells that are starting to make their way down the, the hall. So let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll talk about the, the, uh, the brunch. Let's pray. Father, again, I, I apologize um, for my, my personality. It can be so abrasive, and it can be so um, condescending and all these things. And, and Father, I pray that, that that was filtered out and that your spirit would speak to the hearts of, of people who have never seriously considered and seriously considered um, opening themselves up to trying to hear from you through the scriptures. And Lord, we pray for those folks. We pray that, that, that today they, they would be inspired, not, not because I said anything great, but because your spirit's at work, that they would be inspired to listen to that still small voice 
that's nudging them to, to open up a Bible, that you would lead them to the right place to start, and that your spirit would speak to them, that you would, you would, open, you would help them, help them with their minds and their hearts to, to be open to hearing from you, and then, Holy Spirit, speak. I mean, your word, it's, it's like a two-edged sword, and we pray that, that as they open themselves up to it, Lord, that it would speak to them. And they begin to hear from you, and they begin to realize this is not just another book, but this is living. This is living and breathing and alive. And Lord, for those of us who, who have all kinds of excuses as to why we're not in your word, Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to us um, and that you would begin to, to with each individual, um, show them what that means, whether it's long periods of time, short periods of time, whatever. Lord, speak to each of us and let us know what you, how, how, how you would have us engage this most amazing of books. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.